Hello and welcome to Stock Talk, a podcast series which brings together livestock specialists, vets and farmers to give you the tools you need to improve your business and embrace the future. Stock Talk is presented by myself, Robert Ramsey, and produced by Kirsten Blackwood as part of the Farm Advisory Service in association with the Scottish Government. So today we're joined by a friend, client, mentor of mine, I suppose, is uh, David Whiteford from Maxilton at Daly in South Ayrshire. Um, hello to you, David. How, how's it going? Uh, not bad, Robert. Nice to hear from you. Yeah. Things are going okay. Sun shining. Good. It makes a change. It's certainly been a fairly tough spell for us, for or certainly for, for doing what you're doing, but we'll come into that in a wee bit more detail later on. Um, what, just I suppose to start off, what... If we maybe go in numbers, what what are you farming? What do you do at Maxilton? What what's your stock numbers? What's your what area are you farming? Stock number well, the area is seven hundred and seventy nine hectares. Um, there's in buys probably well, need to do in, in, in buys about five hundred acres actually, and the rest how. Um, we used to have a lot of we summerings and different things but now we're just concentrating on what's at home and plus um some winter grazings um we've went from probably a traditional sheep system blackies and how cross shows um and a kind of block split calving back end and spring to all spring and with the ewes being mostly Aberfields now out the blackies and it's just kind of A and B flock instead of hefted a hefted um, hill um, with all the different grazings going on round about the farm Yeah So there's a pretty big change has happened in the last is that in the last five years or so? Five, five, six years probably Yeah Um, Started making changes. Um, stock numbers have kind of changed. Um, 2018, I think we were carrying about 1,300 yows, 900 blackies, and the rest cross yows. And we've reduced that down to about 950 now. Um, they're mostly Aberfields, so they're scanning 50% more. So um, Hopefully, about the same amount of lambs in the ground and um, less yows was the that was the plan. Um, cow numbers have dipped back because I shifted all my back end calves round from the back end to the spring over a couple of years. Um, so they were generally about two twenty. Um, they've dipped back midway through. We're transitioning to about one eighty, and now we're we'll be. Back, we're back to skirt to calve two hundred and three this year, and then I think it should be back up to two twenty next year. So just the way things are going. So, um, I the changes, but there's been a lot of changes, but hopefully it's it's making its way towards um, a more um, profitable farming enterprise with less costs and such thing. What was your cow system before? Black black cows, Charlie calves? It was Belgian blue cows with a limousine um, and 
some black Slayers, some black limousines, and just all all limousines. So. Aye, money bills all, limous- all limousine bills yep and totally housed system or, or obviously housed through the winter I housed just I housed all housed yeah and now so obviously your system you've turned basically you've flipped your farm on its head yep sheep are on, focused on the low ground yep cattle are on the high ground so cow type what, what cow are you working with now we've went to we've always been had been buying salers from a dairy farm, salers out of a Frisian, um, a Frisian herd at Kitmichael, and we had a lot of those cows, and we're putting the salers bulls over them to retain salers homebred heifers to calve down at two. Um, so we've just done that the last couple of years, so we're still, we think we're getting there with it right enough calving at two, but yeah. <laughs> And it's always a it's a tricky one when you're changing a system. You know, you're changing away from one thing onto another. Keeping that performance at the level you need it to cave it to. You know, it's are you you finding cabinet two is fairly straightforward? Yes, I would I would say we're, we're, we're the last couple of years we've been trialing, and now we're we think we're getting places now like getting heifer to the right size. And getting them back in calf, which is uh, the the probably the most important thing, is getting them back in calf once they've calved with with very with little feeding, just grass. So we hear all the time, or not all the time, thankfully, but there's everybody's had an experience somewhere about that six month old heifer calf that's held to the bull or held to our brother, or you know the fertility isn't the problem in the heifer; it's the problem in the second calver. Um, so yeah interesting and something to, I think we'll come back to in a wee bit but the what we really want to discuss so obviously we've we're we're going to have a meeting at yours on the 13th of December looking at well the meeting's called um, Collars Crops and Costs so it's looking at virtual fencing collars looking at a forage crops and obviously looking at reducing costs in suckler cow systems because we know if we can control that cost, and that's a big if, but if we can control the cost of the keeping the cow, we now are in a position where the, the calf commands a really big, you know, really pretty handsome price if we can control that the, the cost of the cow. So you're, if we start off, I think when we start off on the collars, so your, your collar journey has been quite interesting as well, that if anybody in the country's jumped in with both feet to the virtual fencing world. I think his name is David Whiteford. Um, so how did that come about? How many did you buy and how did you do it? So the collars came about, um, Ridian Jones had talked about them for a few years. He was here back and forward. Um, but I was making my changes and our system didn't suit the collars at that time, but we'd, the technology looked... Um, the way to go um, so once we go over system we've been working on changing the system um, rotational grazing during the summer and outwintering the cows during the winter and the deferred hill grazing and the collars would fit that system um, without the hassle of having to move fences when they're working the sheep, moving the fences and the poly wires just it just seems to be a bit of a hassle, hassle especially with the black of yous. So we 
we took the plunge with the callers last back end um, after finding out we could possibly get a grant from Digital Boost. So we applied for the grant, said we could get the get the grant for 50% of the 196 callers we got um, and away we went but they arrived lots and lots of boxes and lots and lots of head scratching um, did we see how we were going to work them, put them on and work them and so I that was our kind of journey into the callers it was all pretty quick and the the annoying thing for us, the unfortunate thing is we've got to say the digital boost thing was a good grant which was available for a really short time and it's not there at the moment. It's but not available now, no. What what it does kind of highlight is these callers, they are expensive and they're not, they're definitely not for everybody. They're for certain systems, certain people, certain types of people and if you're in a position where you can get someone else to pay for it, whether that's a grant scheme or a conservation story or a big business who wants biodiversity something net gain stuff if we can get someone else to pay for it there's a big win in there if you can't get someone else to pay for it they, they do stack up you know they do make sense for certain systems certain jobs and certainly if if we can get i'm doing a wee bit up the west coast for a few few, few people and having these conversations and the collar is quite expensive if you've got all the other costs in the system. However, if you can have the caller as one of the only costs in the system and you, you know, you've got huge amounts of poor quality hill forage, you can do a deferred grazing system using a caller. Actually that, that big ex- or apparently big expense becomes a really insignificant expense in a, in a now fairly profitable hill cow would you know would be the the ideal world and please you mentioned Ridian as well because Ridian is a former colleague so Ridian worked will be well known Ridian worked for us for a a good number of years but has done and does do an awful lot of good systems advice like this and he'll have have helped a lot of people on journeys to lower cost cow systems so I'm pleased to give Ridian a wee shout out there too um so your your system David the summer is probably the easy part for the collar. We've got uh, first for those that don't know, there's the no fence collar has a integrated solar panel which charges the battery certainly through the summer, a and and gives us. We've actually done a podcast on this for Thrill of the Hill a wee while ago. So again, we'll maybe put the the link to it in the show notes here as well. Um, the system's great for the summer. Um, well, uh, I think. Different farms, our, our farms, typical hill, big hill, and the water runs down, and we've got a lot of glens, and it's very difficult to set up um, cells, as you would call them, with fancy poly wires and things, you know. And I just thought it was, you know, the callers was going to make the job just a lot easier. And we hadn't had a huge amount of infrastructure in for um, rotational grazing before we bought the collars, so it was just a bit of stuff in the hill that didn't really work. So, um, so I, the collars seems like the, the, the answer, you know, and you just get into the field in the morning and just know that it probably should be measuring the grass and giving them a set amount of dry matter per day, but it was just like, you kind of work out how much they're going to eat and, and 
just try change the fence to where you're sitting in the bite and job done two seconds um, and the calves are always forward grazing as well so they're getting the best of the grass um, so it's like creep for them so Aye, so the, the calves are unbound they've no collar they're just bound by their mother yeah um, so the calf basically eats the tomorrow's grass for the cow today gets the best of it but doesn't stray too far away do you find them how far will they go away from their mother uh, they'll travel they'll travel you see all these calves grazing in a field just smaller calves and because the cows are maybe down out of sight you know it must be quite strange for some for the neighbours to watch <laughs> um, so I no I would say that's a, the and last year we, we, they, we grazed they had the calls in the hill last year for the first and the what to create maybe some of them ran out of battery halfway through the winter um, just for the right at the back of the hill where there's not as much phone coverage um, but yet another heft they were fine they didn't run out at all out so I think it's probably to do with more to say the phone coverage than the, the battery life you know seems to be a problem but apart from that the, the work windows and the um in the hill as well like you know and you could just move them round about yeah and do you think the cost of them so is it worth discussing the cost so what what's the collar costing you not so much what what you paid for it but what's the annual sort of the monthly subscription how does it what did work we say that, what, was it three fifty three fifty a month three pounds fifty which was fifty percent more than last year the first year you get a fifty percent discount on the annual subscription so so it does run into a, a chunk it does of run into a, quite a bit of money um but understand that the the satellite they'll have to pay for i suppose you know the all, all the all the backup you know um there'll be costs but it seems quite seems quite expensive but i'm not making i'm only making i mean two-thirds less salaries than i ever used to and i'm with all the associated costs with housing, you know, I can just about justify them, I think. Aye. And I think as we learn more about them and learn how to better use them, because um, I think, you know, you've you've certainly more than dipped your toe in, but you've had one winter. And I think once you get two or three winters under your belt, you'll know what the, what were the silly things, what's the, you know, where's the, the big, the big bang for buck. Um, and certainly, in, in the if we if we sat and calculated the true cost of a winter, which we need to do for that that meeting, um, but if we calculate the true cost of a housed winter, the subscription is peanuts. Mm, oh, I know. Oh, I know. Well, there's no doubt about it. Um, but that's that, that changing into that system. You know, I've been it's definitely been five years or probably more. And it's, it kind of has a snowball effect, the change in the system. You know, it's like once you start looking at other things and I spent a lot of time off the farm looking at different systems and thinking, oh, pull it. I like that. That would work on my farm. And then the next person, farm had maybe been interested, oh, that wouldn't work. But the next farm, the other system, you know, wee bits, just picked wee bits thinking it could work, this could work, this could work, and just putting a system together, hopefully pretty bomb-proof. Um, Albeit some 
sometimes doesn't feel like it right enough. But. Yeah. <laughs> I've certainly really enjoyed over the last few while I've been doing quite a bit of Faz Connect meetings and taking groups to various places and everywhere you go you find something to do or to not do something to stop doing something to start doing and get that bit about getting off farm i think off farms definitely never been more important no i don't think i don't think for like there's no doubt about it like and i think doing the rural leadership that was in 2018 i think and i think that probably helped me get the confidence to make these changes and don't do it the way have i been doing it yeah the interesting thing i think is in your business so um, we don't want to big you up too much because we also need to need to big up your father, who's actually been, you know, instrumental. He's he's allowed you to make changes, and also, do you want to run through maybe his his experience for the callers as well? So he's, you reckon he was probably better at callers than you are? Ah, uh, well, I think he's got more <clears throat> patience to look at these do these things now. I, we're quite happy to source them, get everything up and running, but. I'd probably be better following it through a bit instead of looking for the next thing. <laughs> yep. um, so <laughs> I think there's always something different, you know, mm-hmm. to look at and keep keep going. Um, but this year we don't have any stock inside for the first so far, and it's all feeling a bit strange, to be fair. Um, it, but the same it, amount of stock. Is it easier or is it different? Pardon? Is it easier or is it different? It's when the beast have broke through the electric fence. I wouldn't say at that point it's easier. <laughs> but I would say mentally, yes, it's it's if you get two or three good days of dry weather and the cows are out and fodder beating at the hill and it's just great, to be fair. So we've got a fair chunk into this podcast and we've now said the F word so we're now on to fodder beat so that's obviously the, the other side of the the business so we've done the or the intention to develop this low cost forage based outside cow the standard airsha system would be obviously housed cow and housed calf but the the routine would be to house that calf push it fairly hard and sell it in the spring so obviously you've stepped away from that a bit as well so fodder wheat's been the, cho- the crop of choice this year how's how's it going for the, well we grew a grew a tremendous crop so that's a good start um two fields split um two separate fields eight seven acres and eight acres um one field with in calf heifers, lean cows, other field, all the calves, 185 or six or round about that, which is quite a transformation from just having 50 or 60 calves out and maybe Red Start or something for the years before or stubble turnips or kale or something like that. Like. So uh, it's been a big, quite a big um, change this year. We've grew for a beat before, but we lost half it to the frost. And it was sheep we were it was sheep we were um focusing growing it for that year and oh the, the yows get lean, the lost the leaf for the yows get lean, we lost half the crop. So I've put a lot more um work into finding out how to grow it, but the 
and try and protect from the frost with some late nitrogen. So we'll see how that works out for this season. It's going okay. good so far. And the, I suppose the interesting thing with the the for, frost prevention thing, whatever you've done frost-wise, you've made it pour with rain for the last four weeks. So that's very much appreciated by everyone else round about. Um, what, how is weather going? So obviously it's a, you see fodder beat strip grazed on a lovely, you know, frosty, dry type day and you can't beat it as a system. But obviously we have had some serious wet days how are how's crop looking and, and more importantly how are calves looking calves are looking quite weathered to be fair last year they were crepe fed when they were on red start so it was just the way the fields suited the field i don't think i'm going to have these big charlie calves to sell in january which is might upset my cash flow a bit um and so, but the calves, you move the fence, they're all in eating and they're doing a wee bit of padding around about the bales, to be fair. Uh, and the gate, for they've been still getting running back onto that grass. Um, the other lot, they don't really have much of a run back. It's um, stubble field. They're kind of, the bales are set out on and I was in that lot last night and I just thought it was a great job. Um and that's the lot your dad's managing. Aye, that's the lot my dad's managing. That looks a lot tighter than my, uh, a lot tighter than my 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 field. So I think I think to be fair to your field. So the the thing about you've 180 calves in one field on one crop at 720 feet. If my if my uh, maths is correct, there's 720 wee poaching feet on soil, and when it's wet, it's going to be. You know, it's, it's going to get sticky, but it is a thing. And again, in the West, we can grow tremendous crops. It's just about maybe having the the confidence to graze it and and not, you know, not to blink too soon when it's going when it's getting a bit sticky. Because we do get spells, we get wet weeks and dry weeks. And those calves, I saw your calves a couple of weeks ago, and and they are spotless. And I, and I think you're probably being sore on them with the they're not weathered. They look like they're being outwintered. You know, they've got an outwintered coat on them. They don't look like they're clipped and dozed and fat and lazy, like they're working for what they're doing. But they look as if they look like cattle that are gaining. You know, look, they look like they're growing. And I would be, it'll be very interesting to see what you've got for January, February, and also people's attitudes to them. Because those calves, there are no calves in the country that will go like those calves will go when they hit grass. Yeah. Um, the challenge, of course, is making sure you get enough out of them that the next person doesn't get all the value out of your system. This is um, the problem. Yeah. Um, will Will you graze some of them yourself? Would that be part we of the We will plan? graze. Uh, we'll graze all the way into June, mid June, with some. Just just keep the weird ones. Sell it. Keep selling the bigger ones, and as soon as grass starts. We're always out early here anyway. We'll put the, hef- the heifers will come out of them first and they'll go out first. The heifers are going to, to breed the, to um, June, July time. They'll go to the grass first and then once the grass, we'll just keep adding to the weird ones and they'll get a flush of the grass before we sell them. But no, we'll be introducing any feeding to them, I don't think. Yeah. 
Do you do you have figures for what? So last year, the same obviously different calves, but the same group of calves was on Red Start and and a brassica type crop. What, do you know what they were doing on that growth rate wise? Growth, uh, I should be able to tell you, but I, I think no, because I can give you then weights what was sold them at and what it started at. You know, I don't really have the actual. I don't have the actual when we put them in the Red Start. Yeah, but they were getting crate fed last year, so that's it, kind of cheating. It was cheating. Yeah. Um, no, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see, and and I think as well when it comes to the big, you don't you don't have the big Charlie calf to sell. You maybe don't need the big Charlie calf to sell if you've not got all the costs associated with creep feeding and win- and wintering, and maybe if it's twenty or thirty kilos lighter, you're maybe not far wrong. I know the bills have just stopped to be fair, you know, straw, no feeding, no or the bills have been growing the crop, you know, and, and then that's that, you know, don't have this winter no labour costs or no feed costs or um so I know it'll be interesting to see how things are gonna pan out like so but it's just having the right field, you know. It's not every field that we've got that probably suit 180 odd calves on. The other conversation we've had is about what we do next with that. So that the field you're in, the two fields are probably the the best. You obviously start with the driest fields you've got, or the fields, importantly, maybe for a trial, is the one that doesn't face the road or lie into the village. You know, it's you've you've got a bit of privacy where you are. That's not for a welfare excuse it's for a you know you're developing your system and, and getting comfortable with it um what next for those fields so they're good crop fields they're good dry free draining fields are we back to grass or are we putting is there something else goes in after fodder beat grass is a big commitment these days for if i want to be back into that field again for um outwintering so I would think it could probably build the crop um, or something. I don't want, I'll not be a seven, I'll not be a, a mixed species that I want to slow down for a while anyway. It could be an Italian thing or something or a, well, I don't know, but I'm not, I'm not 100% committed yet of what I'm putting in. Yeah. And what you said there is, it's really important actually because we're all probably the same we grow a bit of crop at home and there's only so many places we can go practically with crop and and actually we almost need a wee it's almost like a wee arable rotation that you've got, you've got the rest of your farm down to good quality long-term grass whether it's multi-species or not but actually these kind of key five six seven fields that you can do a really good job in what is the order of crop? And I don't, I don't think we've really asked that question industry-wise. We've been, we've been out wintering for a long time. There's no, there's no rocket science in this, but the the sensible rotation for the parts of the farm that can handle a forage crop, I think, is well worth investigating, trial and bits and pieces. I'm, I'm quite interested in, and it, the problem is, it's, it's how you fit it in, is the forage rye thing so we're all in your area there's a heap of rye getting grown for digesters and things but the actual forage rye for the, the really early bite there's a, there's a lot in that but the problem is it doesn't fit with winter you know it doesn't follow fodder beet 
or it doesn't naturally follow for the breed. Um, the brassica thing, you know, do you want to go back? Do you have the stock you need to grow a field of fodder beet somewhere else and follow it with a field of kale or red start? Because you actually land up creating a lot of dry matter. There's high establishment costs and a bit of risk. Um, but how do we, and I'm, I'm asking the question without knowing the answer, and I'm, I'm, I know you don't know the answer either because we've had the conversation. <laughs> um, but I think it's, it's where we really make it make it sing because if you're pulling out a grass field to put in a, a year's worth of fodder wheat to put it back into grass that's no, not gonna of course that that's yeah it maybe would be better off in a good crop of grass full stop aye precisely um, and then the other question we were talking about was do you do you bring in some white crop do you put some oats in it or some barley in it there's a lot of fertility going to be in that field so you've got there's a lot of fertiliser went on the fodder wheat to grow and then you've eaten it there they've dunged it the majority of it goes back on the the field it was growing some of it goes on the run back there's a lot of fertility in there so you could grow a low cost crop of oats or a low cost crop of barley but you don't feed anything no that's the thing so I need to change my system again and in this area most people growing crop are doing it to get some feed and and the straw you don't use straw either no I don't use straw mm. either so I've backed myself into a corner yeah yeah so uh, the way I would see it, I think the sensible rotation would be for there be assuming we get to the end of the year and it's and it's really worked for you but I I, I don't see how it can't and I think the more you if we get to the end of the year I'll be, I'll be very glad we're getting through it ah uh, yep yeah but then that's the thing intakes are good those cattle are tidying it up it's there to eat you know and and you've always got the they're trading cattle so you can pull the pin and punt them in February punt them in January whatever you know there's as long as they're a saleable product but to me that probably your fodder beat going for for young cattle and then I don't know whether you bring ewes into the equation as well and put turnips perhaps fodder beat again um, but then again how much ground do we want to have tied up and under crop and how complicated do we want to make it oh that's the thing I want simple simple systems and yeah. very systematic my system now because it's all spring calving and getting the heifers and calve it too and I've got I've, I mean I've taken five years to get where I am like you know so it's like I don't want to try and chuck in a curveball now mm-hmm. of some description um, so I know that I could just grow crop and have it a cash crop and just sell it sell it if I don't use it I've used yeah. the straw anyway to carve it to carve yeah. anyway like, but it's, to use the grain it's certainly an interesting you know it's a return to a, a step towards mixed farming again you know it's something that spreads the risk a wee bit and I think that's the, the way we need to, the, the less that comes in, the redend, the better that's bought in, you know, so that's, I think that's just the way it needs to be. But you've got the confidence to grow these crops or not, I think it's, you need to start off small and try them. And I think your system, so your system, my system, there's similarities 
we're all trying to do the same thing. We're all trying to take cost out of cows and produce as good a calf as we can. Yep. But everybody's system is different and everybody's farm's different and every every person's different as well. So what I think for anybody listening to this is we are not saying every cow should be outside on a hill eating grass and no, you know, with collars on them. We're not saying everybody should grow fodder wheat. We are saying take a step back, maybe get a fresh set of eyes on your business and see where see where the opportunities are to make it leaner, better, you know, more resilient to changes that are coming, weather, all sorts of things. There's there's, there's, there's challenges right, left and centre and opportunities right, left and centre. So I think that the system change thing, we are certainly doing a lot more system change work at the moment. Um, so yeah it's it's interesting and the other thing is your system hasn't it's not finished you know every year it's going to be different I think you for somebody starting off you just I mean even just putting the beasts out earlier and having them a month earlier and a month later out at the other end you know it's just about small gains isn't it to begin with to build confidence I suppose and it's, it's I've had a few disasters myself a lot of disasters. Um, and, and those disasters are only disasters if you don't learn from them. Yeah, precisely. You know, when, yeah. when you're doing this, you, the Doug Avery one, you, you win or you learn, is it, very true. You know, and sometimes you don't learn from winning. You know, sometimes something works and, it, you know, it's all, it's all good and then you don't learn much from it. And then a disaster happens within, you know, trying to do the same thing the following year. So... Yeah, that's interesting stuff. What do you think your system looks like? This is crystal ball stuff, but we're always looking at, you know, 2045, 2050 climate change targets and all sorts. We're not talking about climate change, you know, in isolation, but what what do you think your system looks like in 20 years' time? <clears throat> well, I think the hills, for, for, since we started letting the hill grow, during the summer I mean I, I thought I didn't think much of the hill ever when there was there was always yows on it and if I could grow always was told if you can with 25 uh, with rotational grazing you could grow 25% more grass so that's in the low ground I mean if you can go 25% more grass on the on the hill you know that's with all those acres it's huge huge potential to Increase stock numbers um, without having more land, you know, to, you know, and just um, so I know I would say it's 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 a resilient it's a more resilient system. I would say. I mean, sometimes it's not a lot of fun, um, but the good days are really good. Um, uh-huh. And when, there's more good days than bad days? I would say so. Good. I would say so. <laughs> good. Um, it, it is an interesting one. So the biodiversity bit is becoming much more important across the board. You know, it's, it's getting the more than lip service. It's getting the conversation time that it probably deserved for the, or has certainly deserved for the last long time that we've been ignoring it. And actually this, the, the principles of rotational grazing, so the, the graze hard and rest, works really well in the low ground and then in the uplands actually rest um you know you you were there actually at the we went to see giles henry at 
Oakwood Mill and you look at the deferred grazing system there and the level of biodiversity gain that's happened on that hill because it's not getting rumped by sheep all the time. It gets it gets rest it gets rest for the summer, grazed in the winter, and actually become a really positive environmental place to be. And and that's the story really as as red meat producers, as livestock farmers, that's the stories we should be telling. Is look at the good we can do, and I think that message is landing. And I I hope I'm right, but I hope your type of system. I'm not saying your exact system, but your type of system is going to be seen more and more across the country and valued for economically. You know, you're, you, hopefully you're making money at it. You're producing food, doing it, good quality food, doing it. It's sustainable in terms of inputs. So you're not hauling lots of stuff from all over the world to feed Charlie calves. You're feeding, um, you know, you can produce that Charlie calf a different way. Um, and yeah, something that's there to last. So I, th- I hope the the model and your your optimism for the future. I share the optimism, and I, and I, op- I also see that on a more grand scale as well, on a, a wider scale that we we all get the benefit of that. But the, the point is, we have to we have to look at our own systems and 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 decide that none of your system is not perfect. Neither's mine. Neither's the SRUC College Farms. That there's no perfect farm out there, and we all need to be constantly looking at our systems and and making changes and taking advantage of what what comes at us and, and the next few years is going to be interesting, bumpy and full of opportunities. Full of opportunities. That's very optimistic. Yes. <laughs> and a great place to stop. <laughs> David, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate you. Well, you've not got that much on because you don't have beasts to feed and you don't no, have... Just, no, just, <laughs> really now you can head back to the couch and have a beer. Is that the plan? <laughs> pretty, pretty much. Yes, pretty much. It is a Thursday <laughs> afternoon, so why not? <laughs> so why not? You yeah, can find not. a pub open, that's the thing. That yeah. Um, no, we'll get to that someday. But no, David, thanks a lot for your time. That's been that's been excellent. Perfect. Thank you. If you enjoyed listening to Stock Talk, you may enjoy some of our other podcasts, such as Crofting Matters, which is a 12-part monthly show that discusses all things crofting in Scotland, including livestock management. You may also enjoy our new podcast, Agriculture, which tells the stories of some interesting and influential people in the agricultural industry. Just search Crofting Matters or Agriculture wherever you get your podcasts from. The Farm Advisory Service Podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government.